Let's get it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Let's get it. Let's get it. Uh huh. Rock and Royal. Welcome to a very special edition of the KSL.com Cougar Beat Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Sean Walker, beat writer for uh, KSL.com, covering all things BYU, BYU Athletics, uh, BYU The Institution, Provo's unique culture. Um, I feel like I've been around BYU long enough that I can I can address some things about that uh, very unique university, but there are some things that I really can't do very well, and so... Because of that, uh, I brought in a couple of special guests to educate me, and hopefully you guys, listeners, can learn a thing or two uh, from these guys that I'm about to bring in, because this is this is a very uh, kind of heady subject. Uh, it's a little bit direct, but it's also something that's been in the news a lot lately um, regarding race and BYU, specifically BYU athletics. For those of you who are unaware, um, we won't go totally into too many details. You can find them. They're all over the internet. This has made national headlines very well. But uh, the BYU women's volleyball team recently encountered a very ugly incident with race where a player on the Duke women's volleyball team accused a fan in the Smith Fieldhouse, um, at least one of about 5,700 in a sold-out Fieldhouse, of uh, racial heckling and using a racial slur directed at her. Um BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo and other officials were very quick to denounce this slur. They are trying to find the perpetrator um, of said slur. They're not having a whole lot of success. Um, but like I said, I don't want to dwell too much on this specific incident because the big thing is I, I feel like it's it's opened up a much broader and bigger conversation once again about race and BYU and, and specifically how to be an anti-racist at a school like BYU uh, with over 80% of the student body that is um, Caucasian American, that is white. Um, and so I've, I've asked to join me a few BYU athletes, former BYU athletes, who have a very unique experience with race and BYU. They are both, uh, so both of these that, that are joining me now, they're, they're both African American. Um, one graduated a few years ago, we'll say. One is getting ready to graduate. Um, I have with me uh, former BYU football player, Danny Frazier. I believe you still go by Danny. Yep, um, yep, yep, that's me. Yeah, occasionally he goes by Charles. You, you may know him as Charles <laughs> Frazier. We're going to call him Danny for the purposes of this, of this podcast, just because that's the name that he played under. Um, but you, you probably heard both. Um, shout out to the name that your mama gave you. There you um, <laughs> And uh, the other from the uh, BYU rugby team, a rising senior, Ronald Weaver III. Thank you as well, Ronald, uh, for joining me, joining us, I should say, on this podcast. Um, but let's let's start with you, uh, Danny. If you could just briefly introduce yourself um, to listeners, those who may have who may know you, you know, maybe some who did watch you play. Like I said, a year or two ago, that I think you graduated. Um, and then maybe for those who don't, just kind of catch up, catch us up briefly on what you've been doing since you left BYU as well. Yeah, I, I played. I started my football career in 70, 1977 and played. Went on, came in on scholarship, played outside linebacker. Um, went to school, played my freshman year, uh, 
redshirted my next year and then uh, was playing the following. And uh, I broke my neck uh, first game of the season, first, second quarter, somewhere in there. And that sort of put the kibosh on any further football junk. So then I went to – I served a mission. I'm LDS, so I, I served a mission. Uh, Oakland, California, came back and then um, uh, went to BYU for a minute, but then transferred to BYU-Hawaii, played basketball. After that, uh, graduated from BYU-Hawaii, went to law school back at BYU in Provo, and I had been practicing law for the past 30-some years. Uh, criminal defense, primarily. Uh, married, four kids, 15 grandkids. Yeah. Um, all that stuff. That's pretty much me. 15 grandkids? Really? I didn't know yep. that about you. Yep. Wow. Uh, bless your sweet, beloved wife. Um, <laughs> Amen to that. And, gra- and grandmother. Wow. That's, that's, that is impressive. But mostly shout out to her because she did most of the work. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Ron, you, you want to introduce yourself for our, our friends on the pod? Yeah, sorry, BYU just scored is rocking over here at Southfield, everybody. Um, it's going crazy. Uh, already off to a hot start better than what it was when they played last game. Um, yeah, so uh, me, I'm from Chicago. Um, I'm from a family of four. Um, like uh, Sean said, I'm a senior at BYU. Yeah, I play on the men's rugby team. Um, started my career in 2019. I originally came to BYU just for academics. Um, I played baseball growing up. Try to walk onto the BYU baseball team. Um, that really didn't work out the way I wanted it to, just with everything I saw. I was like, yeah, leave it be. But then all my friends who I met and knew playing on the rugby team, and like, you don't need any experience to play rugby. And I played football growing up, right? So I really wasn't worried about it. But the transition um, took some time. Tried out the first two times, failed. Uh, third time I made it and then been on the team ever since. And that's how Paul CK started a lot of people. A lot of the best BYU rugby players, even my coach, Steve St. Pierre came and didn't even play rugby, um, you know, and then they learned here and now they flourish. So that's me. I study uh, communication, specifically the sports media over there at the Brim Hall. That's what I'll graduate in um, next year in December. And then uh, hopefully, you know, continue to start my career full time. And I also am a member of the church. I served my mission in Jackson, Mississippi in the South from 2015 to 2017. Um, you know, uh, I'm married. I have no kids. Don't plan to have any kids yet. Uh, we do have a dog, though. Uh, we're excited about that. Um, and me and my family were converts to the church. So I was not born nor raised in the church. I kind of spent the second half of, you know, my preteen, adolescent, and teenage years um, in the church, chapter 12. Um, you know, so there is, I, I see things a little bit differently at times than maybe you would say the average people are like. And and that's why we love you, Ron. And that's why we we had you on the show, um, because again, this is this is a topic that that I I don't necessarily feel like I should be addressing, um, but it is something that I think is an important conversation to have. That of race and BYU, specifically racial dynamics and BYU athletics, and how they play into both the previous iteration of the university um, and also the modern iteration of the university. Um, You guys have both heard a little bit about what happened, what went down at the Smith Fieldhouse. You've read about it. You've probably seen some clips, some news coverage of it. 
um, that sort of thing. What were, do, did either of you have um, any sort of reaction when you first heard about it? Was there like a, I don't know, I'm not going to put any words in your mouth or anything, but but was there, did either of you have just any sort of a reaction uh, to it when you first saw it, saw it or heard it or, or read about it? I did. I I don't know. Ron, you want to go ahead? Yeah, I can go ahead. Uh, my first initial thoughts was, okay, here we go again. <laughs> you know, that's it. I mean, it's sad to say that, but that's the truth of the matter. The fact is, I tell my white friends all the time, I don't, and I didn't tell them, like, I love you guys, but regardless of what you guys say, you guys don't understand that because you have the rights and the privilege of America to be able to go and do as you please because the history of your culture and your, your people was you built this country and my people were enslaved. And I hate to say that, um, and as much as, you know, people want us to stop talking about it is until we get to a point where people want to talk about that and fix these issues, we're going to continue to talk about it. Like people always say, I'm tired of us talking about racism. I agree. I feel you. But don't you think I'm tired of experiencing that? Like, don't you think I'm tired of seeing black people in the world, members or not called the N-word, uh, police brutality? Do you really? And that's my thing. I tell people, if you, do, you, do you really think this is the black people's fault that it continues to happen? Like, don't you think after a certain amount of time that if it was a group of individuals, they would learn to stop? Like, don't you really think that they would do that? So to me, it's like, you got to stop that. And a lot of people, you know, you know, like my thing is, and it's like Rachel Richardson said in her video, the interview she had, she doesn't have the same rights and privileges as a white individual could to be upset and to be angry because a lot of people are like, well, she's so polite. She's so, we have to be that way. We have to respond. We have to speak so fluently and clearly because any stereotype or things that we do, oh, see, we're, there you go, the matter of your black woman, oh, matter of your black male, then they deep dive into, oh, he comes from a single family. Oh, look, look at where he's from. It's just, it, the, the storylines never get, it never, we never get the same um, benefits as the other people in society. And I, and that's just the truth. And people can say, you know, oh, BYU is this, BYU is that. The, the, the question is, sure. Do you want to talk about how a few uh, eggs should spoil the whole basket? You're right. Maybe they shouldn't. But the, the, those eggs are affecting the brand. I'll tell you that straight to your face. And after a certain amount of time, you're going to want to stop buying that brand because of the eggs. So, and, that, and that's the problem is we, we continue to have these issues and nothing is done about it. And eventually, sure, overall point, I would say 90% of BYU does not have bad people in that. But we need to get the 10% and stop that and cast it out, whether it be fans, whether it be students. Um, and that's why I believe that this racial slur was said, because, Sean, you can say this. You and I have been to games. We have heard stuff from San Francisco, other players, and we're at the West Coast Conference. Going back to when they came to Provo to play, we've seen the student section, whether it be students in the student section or other students at BYU, um, or people throw stuff at Gonzaga players down on the court. So when, to me, when you have a history of that, and I have seen that, and that's from being a media member, and then I saw stuff as a student, I'm going to believe it. And if people, because you can't tell me those experiences didn't happen because they did. And the rock board knows it. I have a friend, she's on the rock board. She's like, oh, I know. She's like, I know that. Like, and that's the thing. When those things happen, when you try to say, no, this didn't happen, I don't care if there's video evidence, footage or not, I believe it did. And you're not going to obviously be able to find any here with, you know, how sold out it was, but I know I'm long. Crap. That was awesome. Where'd he go? That was great. I, I think uh, we're having some technical difficulties with uh, Ron's mic, so we'll try to get on him. But that was 
I mean, you can see like this is why this is why I kind of wanted to have this conversation right here was because there are some very strong feelings about this moment. And and I think it helps people like me who maybe look like a little bit of the majority on a campus like BYU to hear these experiences that like they're like, yes, we're all tired of talking about racism, um, but we're also very tired of seeing it of hearing about it, of experiencing it in a lot of ways. And the only way that goes away is for us to acknowledge that that not just BYU, but our entire country has a history of racism. Um, and it still exists today. And we're trying to root it out. We're trying to stamp it out. Uh, what What is it that the leaders of the LDS Church recently said? Call, call it on as members to be proactive and to be active in rooting out racism. Um, because it still does exist. It happens whether there's evidence, whether it can be proven, whether it's on video or audio tape or whatever, um, it does still happen. And and that I think is the underlying root cause. Um, Danny, you, you. I, I, my, my camera's fixed on. This is the last thing I wanted to say. I know I cut out. The biggest thing is at the end of the day, when I look at the situation as saddened by, the sad is there's confirmation bias, but it's sad to see people who don't believe this happened just defending. Like, it, and I hate to say this, it doesn't matter if it comes out that the racial slur was said or something was said, the racial that was inappropriate. The point is something was said and we need to do a better job here, not just at BYU um, when it happens on our turf, but in general of not letting these things happen. Like in taking her side, the point is something affected this girl, you know, and she heard something like I've heard stuff from playing rugby on the road up in here in the state of Utah. I'm not going to say any names or any schools and I've had to deal with stuff and that shouldn't be the case. And we need to act promptly so we can just do a better job because the, the overall point is if you're trying to fight and say, oh, she's a liar, then you're just, you're going to come out to society as racist. And here's what I believe, Sean. I believe whoever heard something is not going to come out of sick because now what's the narrative? Oh, you know, if you come out, you might lose your job because of this. You know, then it's going to look like, you know, if there isn't really anything, you know, because BYU is going to try to protect their brand, not saying that the BYU police or anything is lying. Do you really want to frame BYU as this negative institution that really is racist like there's so many variables that play a factor here and we'll never know what the middle is but the point we need to do is tell people because i've had a bunch of white people who i asked they say i would have liked to do something i would hope i would do something i said no that's that's not the answer what would you do and a lot of said i will remove myself from the situation and to me that's the problem we have got to get to a point in this country and at byu people and i call out my white brothers and sisters it doesn't matter if it makes you uncomfortable do something about it because you removing yourself doesn't stop the situation and we can't grow that way that enables the behavior just because you remove yourself you know because you're uncomfortable does not fix the scenario and to me if you're removing yourself from the situation not saying anything you're a part of the problem and you condone the behavior absolutely absolutely i, I want to get a little bit more um into what we can do to to help address this this ugly ugly behavior um to kind of get at the root of rooting out racism a little bit but but danny you had something you were gonna you you want to say about just when you heard of this experience with with rachel richardson and the duke women's volleyball team the ugly incident that happened um obviously it's a very complicated issue but what was just kind of your sort of your first response or first reaction i guess when you heard I'll about be it? Honest, I'm, I'm 63 years old and i I generally have two responses. Uh, they're both emotional. My first one is to cry, and the second one is to fight. That's just the way those types of situations uh, affect me. I, 
I don't doubt this young lady one iota. I, I'm very, very confident, if not positive, it happened. But my problem is, not problem, but the way I view it is from an uh, attorney's kind of perspective, being especially a trial attorney and uh, doing a lot of criminal defense work is, hey, they, they got a problem and they got an issue. And number one, cops work in a certain way. And you can't blame the officers because they're acting as officers. Because I tell you what, we beat them up every day if they make assumptions and if they make conclusions that are unsupported by any evidence. So when this man who was part of BYU's police staff or something says he didn't hear anything, well, I don't doubt that. Uh, but that's also part of the reason behind him not taking more stringent action is because from the point of view of uh, law enforcement, man, we if, if they're going to make unsupported conclusions like that, their their opinions and their 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 statements are going to be less and less credible. But the other side of it is too, BYU has uh, a job to do, and I think they handled it correctly in making a choice, a decision, and taking the steps to remove somebody from from that uh, facility and from that venue. As a result, I think the problem though is you get so many different viewpoints from so many different conflicting. Uh, people and individuals and outlets that I don't know the precise order or exactly what went down. I mean, it could be as easy as if they actually, if someone knew exactly how this actually came out, who heard what, when and where and from where, you would probably end up somewhere else entirely in the stands and get the right person. That, that's my viewpoint. And that's what I, I try to do I, I, I do a lot of trial work and that is the, the focus 90% of the time, especially when it comes to uh, the side of it that I work on is you're trying to figure out and root out exactly what went down and how, because, you know, the oldest, that's that old adage, adage, it's, you know, it's not what you think, it's what you can prove. It's what the evidence shows and where the facts, facts take it. And, to me, that's the difficulty with this situation. And, you know, I, honestly, I think it's rarely the difficulty in a uh, racist situation because nine times out of 10, people are just so stupid and jaded that they'll say it and then look right at the camera or look right at <laughs> in the area where they said it and deny it, but there will be ample, ample evidence that it was said. And I, I have no doubt, like I say, that this happened and this young lady, what she heard was a racial slur. How it all transpired, how it all went down, that that's kind of, as I thought it through, that's what came to mind for me. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, you both bring up BYU's response. So let's let's dive into that a little bit because I'm, I'm with both of you. I, I actually, I thought... BYU institutionally, certainly from the athletic department's perspective, uh, what athletic director Tom Homo did and kind of leading out, I thought their response was, um, if not perfect, as good as it could be. This was a very ugly incident. Um, it was a very serious accusation. Obviously, there we're learning there uh, maybe some some holes or some problems kind of proving this incident. Uh, in some 
in some ways from a law enforcement perspective, but it's such a serious allegation that I think it demanded a serious response. And I feel like BYU's response was very serious. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to read their main statement. They put out a couple, but I'm going to read their main statement and let's, let's zero in on um, why this was maybe an effective response. Again, maybe not a perfect response, but why was it, um, why was it praised? It was praised by a lot of people, even Rachel herself. She said it was, it was, you know, they did what they, what they had to do. She appreciated it. So um Let's, uh, it, it goes, all of God's children deserve love and respect, and BYU Athletics is completely committed to leading out and abandoning attitudes and actions of prejudice of any kind and rooting out racism. When a student athlete or a fan comes to a BYU sporting event, we expect that they will be treated with love and respect and feel safe on our campus. It is for this reason BYU has banned a fan who was identified by Duke during last night's volleyball match from all BYU athletic venues. Although this fan was sitting in BYU student section, this person is not a BYU student. To say we are extremely disheartened in the actions of a small number of fans in last night's volleyball match in the Smith Fieldhouse between BYU and Duke is not strong enough language. We will not tolerate behavior of this kind. Specifically, the use of a racial slur at any of our athletic events is absolutely unacceptable, and BYU Athletics holds a zero-tolerance approach to this behavior. We wholeheartedly apologize to Duke University and especially its student athletes competing last night for what they experienced. We want BYU athletic events to provide a safe environment for all, and there is no place for behaviors like this in our venues. Um, Tom Homo had a lot more to say about that, but it was it was kind of in that vein in a lot of ways. Um, he sort of called out the student section, urged them to do better. Uh, Heather Holmes said the women's volleyball coach also apologized for this after meeting with Rachel and, and apologizing uh, to her directly, but. Um, but, uh, Danny, what, what did you think of, of BYU's response right here? Was it, I mean, what, what made it maybe effective or, or sort of penetrate, um, the way that it did for a lot of people? I, I, I think it's, it was effective because it was politically what was expedient and needed to be done. Personally, I don't care. I, I, I from an institutional standpoint, BYU is going to do what BYU is going to do. I, fortunately, I have a, a relationship with the people and I, I know Tom Homo personally and some of the guys in the administration. And that's what I take. And that's what I have confidence in because knowing those guys, I can promise you there would have been very little hesitancy to go up in those stands themselves and start questioning, talking, doing whatever was needed in order to find that person who did it and who said it. And, you know, maybe that didn't happen. Maybe it should have, but I got, I got the utmost confidence in Tom that all that could have been done was done. Like I say, and I say it about what BYU's response was because it's all reaction and not proactive at all. So yeah, I mean, it's, and I'm not saying it's not sincere. I'm not saying it's not heartfelt or, you know, the way things are, because it, it is. But by the same token, you know, I, I, I still I still spend a lot of time in the talk is cheap uh, side of things. But, you know, words are still hurtful. And so it, it goes without 
you know, saying that it can't be hurtful and that the words that are said either way can't be significant and and effective. But that's the way I look at it. Well, as far well, as BYU's response. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And and let's act, let's move on from from there. And I know Ron's got to get going, so maybe we'll, we'll Jake, let somebody him go. named Jake is on too. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll we'll let Ron go on this because I I want to get his perspective on what BYU did right with kind of their response, um, and then also what could be better because it was it was. We've talked about this a little bit off air, Ron, but it was good, but maybe not quite perfect. So what what have they done well in responding from this? Um, and then what can BYU do moving forward to sort of prove well, that the talk isn't cheap, I guess? Well, it's like what, what Daniel said, you know, he's a relationship. It's kind of like I've had the privilege of being able to talk to Tom Homo one-on-one. Um, you know, I've had the privilege of being able to talk the present word and meet with them. And I know... President has full confidence in Tom Homo. And like Danny said, everything they said in that statement is great. Um, Tom Homo putting out a statement, um, you know, individually having the BYU Athletics and the BYU Rock Corps taking action, um, having Heather Homestead put out one. All those things are, are great things. Um, and, and they all do well in those words and really well with what they said of being able to find the fan and do that. So a decision was made. You know, there may be healthy things in the future, you know, I talked about this kind of primarily this is going to fall on BYU. And I don't want people to make it seem like I'm trying to blame Rachel or Duke. But responsibility to me is also on Duke. Like, if you hear this, and the minute she was made notified, because you can see our coaches talk to the officials, stop the match. Stop the match immediately. If that happens, like, for me personally, like, if that happens at a rugby game, I'm stopping the match. Like, I'm not playing that. Like, I'm, I'm not going to allow myself to be in a situation when I heard something and I'm going to go over myself if I have to and be like, who said it and figure it out, especially if I'm an athlete in the field, because it could be hostile. The environments will be like that but on the road, on a home. That shouldn't be said to a player because that has nothing to do with the sport. That is not within that's out of bounds so far. And we cannot condone that behavior. So that's what I think needs to happen. Now, I think I know going forward. And also what I would, would like is we got to stop having these different statements from every single person, you know? Like, I get it. The Rock and Athletic, great that is together. Tom Homer, great. You know, Heather Olmstead, great. But what needs to be better is I wish that, you know, Heather would have been able to go with Tom Homer to the meeting. Tom, you know, said he wanted to meet with Rachel one-on-one, and Rachel talked about that. And her video she put out later with the interview with the lady she did, why didn't they go together? Personally, in my opinion, you know, Sean, if that would have happened with Coach Sataki, you know, you know, Kalani would have been there with Tom. That wouldn't have been a question. He never wanted to represent. So I think if if these well, if these things happen in the future, I don't want to say when because I don't want to speak that into existence because I would hope it never does. But if it does, I would say the athletic director and whatever coach has happened on, they have a right to be unified, and it is the coach's responsibility, in my opinion, to go as well because it happened on their turf, and they are the home representative of the university and the coach that represents that department. You know, and you heard from Rachel and I'll send you trying to link. She posted of the video that she talked about. Um, but she said uh, other BYU athletes, all the girls reached out. Those things are good, you know, because it lets you know, like, okay. You know, and that's and it, and it, it just it backs up her statement more that she put out because a lot of people were probably like, what is this girl saying? Why is she saying these things? Um, and that just solidifies that's okay. The statement, the words are good. Like Danny said, words are always good. I appreciate words. However, 
for the future, we need to make sure that we get away, you know, from statements because statements don't do anything. Statements don't take action. It doesn't keep us accountable to a degree. In my opinion, results and action is what do. We talk about in the gospel all the time. You could be taught correct principles in your life if you're a member of the church, but if you never act and do those correct principles, it will never affect your life. Like Boyke Parker said it, true doctrine understood changes attitudes and behavior. So you have to have the behavior and the attitude to do. And right now, it just seems like people say they have the behavior, but a lot of people don't have the attitude to do it. Um, or you can switch those and say vice versa. You can say people have the attitude, but not the behavior. The point is both of those together is how people can cast this out, how we can cast out or root our racism. Because to me personally, I'm not trying to be rude, but as a black individual, I don't feel safe on campus at BYU sometimes. I, I struggle, like I don't want to stand during the national anthem anymore, which is sad because both of my parents served in the military. My mom was in the army for 25 years. And my dad was in the Navy for 15. I've, just, I've seen these statements for years. I've seen this happen to me. I've been in the classroom. My friend and I were called the N-word. You know, we had to come and educate the class, not our job. The professor and no one said anything. You know, I've, I've seen stuff with the Brad Wolfhouse thing, us talking in a room with them and him putting out a statement letter, but then us saying, hey, could you put out a video that would be more powerful to members all around the world in the black community. You know, then he's, oh, I need to ask for permission to just, there's so much hesitation with this. There's, there's so much of, I want to do this, but there's no action behind it. There needs to be more action. And once we get to that point where we start doing action and we get results, because that's what we need. We need results. Once we get results and people do that, that's how it goes. But it's like Emmanuel Ancho said, until those unaffected are outraged by this, it won't change. So until some white parent living in Gripper, Utah, or home or Springfield or wherever adopts a black kid and they're at a game and it happens to their son, they're not going to care. Until someone who's married to someone in an interracial marriage, such as myself, it happens in front of there, they're not going to care. Until it, people experience this harshly, won't, anything won't be done. But the problem is we need everybody in the community to stop saying and going against, oh, well, this didn't happen. Well, since there's no, there's no video evidence of it, then it's not true. Because all you do at that point is you're a part of the problem and that pushes us away and being unified against the issue. The point was it's, something was this girl was hurt and we need to do something about it. See, Ron, I, I agree with everything you said. I love what Ron was saying about that and, and trying to get to the issue right at that time. And I'm with that. The, the bottom line is the only place I might differ with Ron, uh, Ron a little bit is, hey, okay, let's stop the contest. Let's try to figure out what we can figure out. But no, nobody leaves the field. The other team does not get to get a reprieve from the butt whooping that I'm fixing to hand out because of their fan and the crap that somebody's trying to spew about what I take personally and about my boys, my teammate, my, my brothers. So no, you guys do what you got to do. But as soon as you're done, you walk your butt back over to the other side of the line and we're going to finish this, and I'm going to proceed to finish handing out the uh, butt whooping, we'll say, that uh, you're about to get imposed on you. That's that's how I handle and how I see those types of issues. And, you know, Ron talks about it, and, yeah, same thing for me. People call me names on the field, too, and I knew why they were doing it after the first time they did it, and I got kicked out of a game. Uh but after that, it was like, okay, I understand. Now let's proceed to handle business on on the field of play. And that meant, you know, winning the game. 
Well, well, and that right there, Danny, I think is is kind of maybe the number one takeaway that we should all take from this past week because it, you know, there there is some element of of he said she said with this specific incident. There there is some element of who do you believe, what do you not believe, and like I said, I don't want to get too deep into all of that nah, because I nah. I think I think the biggest element that we can all learn: black, white, green, purple, what whatever. That I think the biggest thing that we can all learn is is we need to start confronting these ugly actions, ugly attitudes, um, prejudicial attitudes, racism, sexism, homophobia, whatever it may be. Like I, I found a lot. I found that confrontation um, tends to send a lot of these attitudes kind of scurrying in some ways, uh, and and yeah, like when you experience racism, you can confront the, the racist oppressor. Like that is one thing. Um, but like, like, like Ron was saying, um, sometimes it takes more than that. It takes the people who maybe aren't directly involved to stand up and say, Hey, that's not cool. That's unacceptable. Stop it. Like just simply stop it. Like, is that maybe the biggest takeaway? Um, Danny is, is we just need to say something, I guess. I think, I think that's kind of the general, uh, feeling overall. I, my problem additionally is that this subject gets discussed mostly, at least around me, when somebody wants me to say, oh, but things are getting better, aren't they? And, <laughs> you know, it's like, who, who, who cares? That's so far off the point, but it's like somebody's trying to salve their ego or or justify or make themselves feel better by looking at a black guy and saying, well, you got to agree that things are getting better. And, you know, I, I could I could care less. I want people to act like they would regardless of whether I'm green, black, white, red, brown. If they're going to hear an insult towards anybody, I expect people that I associate with and that I know, even I don't, to stand up and go, yo, shut, that's not right. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. And I would think that, you know, anybody who might say something like that towards me, my people, my friends, people that I know would basically say something to them about it. And if they're going to do that for me, I don't see any difference between doing that for any other person, whether they know them or whether they don't. So, you know, it's something that, yeah, you got to learn to speak up. But at the same time, just don't just be yourself. And anybody right thinking is going to do something. Not and, and no not walk away i mean in terms of you know even if it's nothing more than a sidelong glance like dude you're a moron something but anyways i uh i definitely don't profess to have the the end all be all and the answer for all this so yeah i i don't i don't think any of us do but i th- i think that's that's the biggest thing is is just say something um 
verbally or non-verbally even a sidelong glance a lot of times i, I like that danny actually uh, a lot of times sidelong glance it goes a long way from somebody who you know is also in the crowd your neighbor your your the guy sitting behind you um whatever it may be like some sometimes that's enough and if it's not if the knuckleheads keep continuing down that path get a little bit more stern and a little bit more stern and maybe eventually they just need a smack upside the head or something or just maybe I'm not, I'm not condoning away. violence necessarily on this podcast, uh, or but maybe I'm not, you do not condoning walk, it either. No, maybe you do walk away at that point when Joe Joe Smo turns to you and goes, eh, eh? You just kind of go, eh, and go the other way. I don't know. I don't, uh, like I say, it's a subject that's pretty deep and deep-seated and yeah. long-standing. Um, well, we just we just got a special guest on the call right here. Um, the, uh, co-founder of BYU's own NIL collective, uh, Coo Connect, who helped, uh, facilitate in a lot of ways, kind of some of this call and, and, and whatnot, uh, Jake Brandon just barely joined us. And he's a guy actually who, um, he's a Utah County guy, uh, Spanish fork stand up, uh, <laughs> shout out, shout out to the Dons. Uh, but, uh, Jake, Jake here is here and I actually met Jake through a whole bunch of BYU football players. He works with them as part of Ku Connect. Um and I was working with them and then we kind of we're, we're doing some stuff with the podcast together and and some of the things cool things that they're doing. But I actually met him through specifically a whole bunch of minority BYU football players, uh black athletes, current black athletes. Um and so I I sent Jake kind of this call information to say, Hey, come in and, and join us and, and let's talk about some of this issue. But I think Jake, you've got a question. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I got, a, I got a question. Um, but yeah, I've worked with a lot of the, the black athletes um, on the football team. I know them very well. I've had, I've had, done a lot of NIL work with Malik Moore, um, D'Lo, Christopher Jackson. Um, I'm trying to think of, of, of who else, but a lot of guys, Cody Epps, um, they're, they consider them good friends of mine and they, they sometimes, as Ron said, you know, don't, haven't felt welcome on campus or feel like they're looked at or treated differently. Um, things like that, which is, which is a shame. Um, you know, on, on the other hand, maybe, you know, maybe I wouldn't feel the same way fitting in at a historically black college or university, but, um, I don't think that that would necessarily be the case, but, uh, Malik has mentioned to me and I, when I coach football, Spanish for high. Um, they mentioned to me that, you know, in-game opponents will use racial slurs to try and, and have problems. And so I don't think that we're in a place where we can say like, well, it's getting better and it's, you know, it's non-existent or this, I think it's very alive. And just through coaching football, um, with, uh, different black athletes who are from all different socioeconomic classes and being a teacher and a coach, some, most of them were, a lot of them were <laughs> made more money than I did. It came from a a much more affluent home than I did. They were still, they still received it. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a problem for sure. And I think we can all do exactly. You said, I agree hundred percent. We can call it out. We can stand up for it. If anyone in this situation had heard it and just politely went and got an usher and said, Hey, this is going on. This is inappropriate. The whole narrative is different. The whole experience is different. Everything is better. Just take, took one person to be a hero. I, I feel like in this situation to be a different thing. Um, but my question is, um, my friend Devon Blackman, who I consider a very good friend, I've done a lot of business with him. He's been a big part of starting this collective and helping the players. He feels like the solution to this is critical race theory being taught. And as an educator, I get 
I get concerns from parents about that being taught in schools um, and that some of their concerns they've addressed. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in critical race theory or really even political science or, or anything is that um, it draws lines and makes us try and treat people differently instead of defending for everyone that maybe it tries to treat people differently and maybe even hold people to different standards than other people. But I'm not qualified for this. So my question just be, Danny, do you think that there's an issue there, a legitimate issue there? Do you think teaching respect and, um, you know, decorum uh, amongst all groups of people, regardless of, you know, race or socioeconomic class or any demographic is the way to go? Or do you feel like there is room where we need to teach critical race theory? Yeah, I, what is or isn't appropriate curriculum, that's, that's not my call. But I, I got to, and, and I'll, uh, from my perspective, being a lawyer at BYU, on campus, you had to be able to understand and accept and even deal with and even take apart every different perspective, every different point of view whether you agree with it or not. And you all, and you had to learn to defend it. So to me, I love hearing conflicting viewpoints and differing viewpoints and, and positions and theories, if you will, because that's all it is. It's, I don't, it is a theory again. Yeah. Words could be hurt, hurtful and all that kind of stuff, but Critical race theory, I don't see a problem with it being taught. I, I just, I worry though, because uh, and I'm going to get philosophical again, because it comes down to what what's taught at home. If, if you learn whatever you learn, critical race theory, whatever, evolution, whatever, in school, and then don't go home and have anyone be able to say to you, yeah, that's here is, is what they're trying to say. This is the concept. This is the idea. Think about it how you may. But it's okay for you to not have a viewpoint that agrees with that. And it's okay for you to agree with it. And that's frankly kind of the way I tried to raise, raise my family is basically let them know that, you know what, a, a differing point of view isn't the end of the world. You don't have to agree with everybody else. You can think on your own, uh, but think. And so whether it's critical race theory, rather whether it's evolution, whether it's, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call, whatever you want to call it, to me, I, I don't see that big of a deal with it. I understand why people get upset, though, because for some people, it just seems to cause them to feel torn down or less than uh, what they are or responsible even in a way for certain things. But to me, I don't know that, I guess it comes down to why you're teaching it maybe. If it's, it's something you're gonna try to weaponize, then that's probably less appropriate than it is to say, yo, hey, this is out here. There's, there's facts to support it. And you know what? Maybe you don't agree with it. Maybe you do. 
but here it is. Thank you, Danny. I think that's a, that's a great response. And I don't think we should, especially as an educator, I don't think we should really shy away from teaching anything. But I think, yeah, you're right. There's concern. Maybe it gets weaponized. Um, but I think we should be teaching our kids all different kinds of viewpoints and not from a matter of fact, this is the way it is. But, hey, there's this information out there. Right. And there's this other information out there. And you are going to have to be a grown up person who has some judgment and have to figure out to balance this out and, and, and understand it. Um, so yeah, I think it was a very great response. I appreciate you taking the time to answer my question. Well, and you know, I'll add to that real quick, because to me, after a while education, what I really got out of school and going to school is learning how to learn. I mean, you know, there's a heck of a lot different ways if you want to make money or if you want to become, uh, educated, if you will. I think the biggest benefit for me from school was simply learning how to learn and being taught how to critically think. And from from the time I started school in first, second grade and on up, uh, you know, but again, I, my mom, I, I got to give her a lot of credit because we, we would sit around and talk about, I mean, literally just about everything. And uh, we weren't allowed just to kind of sit and just, you know, mindlessly go along with something um, unless you were able to defend it or take a whole lot of crap for just believing something out of out of hand without any basis for it. So anyways. Um, I'm with you. And I, I really like that point actually right there because, um, and this is where I wanted to end. So maybe we'll, we'll end a little bit uh, on this. Also, I promised Danny that I want to keep him for an entire um opening night of the football. But I'll season. come do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, but I, I did want to leave with just maybe some recommendations of, of where to go from here. Um, yes. In terms of action, we've talked about, you know, be more than words. We need action. We need more than statements. We need action. We need people standing, actually standing up to racism. Um, you know, put your money where your mouth is as the old adage goes. Um, but what about what about some resources to to sort of help spur this action along? Um, I I'd like to maybe maybe we can go just go around and just share something that we've learned or or whether it's a book or a film or something in the line of racism and anti-racism racism kind of something that we can point to to for for listeners to go and and to just to learn a little bit more about this line of thinking. And um, I guess, I guess one place where I'll start, and this has been a book that's been going around a little bit. Um, it's the place where um, there's a really common quote that's been floating around social media, especially BYU social media over the last week that says the opposite of racist isn't not racist. It's anti-racist. Um, and that comes from how to be an anti-racist by Ibram X. Kennedy who uh, he's a, an author and a historian, wrote this book back in 2019. I bought it a couple of years ago and read it. Um, and it was really good about just sort of changing the viewpoint from, I, I feel like this was written very well for white America, um, to, to help change the viewpoint from, okay, racism existed. How do we get past racism? It's more than just saying, I'm not racist but actively addressing racism in our communities, being that anti-racist. 
so that's one that I would, I, I think, recommend was Ibram X Kennedy's How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, Danny and Jake, do you guys have anything that you would recommend to, to just dive into and learn? And whether, like I said, whether it's read it, uh, maybe a podcast, a film to watch, to learn just about what racism is in America and how, how we can change it and how we can overcome it today? I, I, I read a ton of books. I mean, you know, you could read Native Son. There's a number of other books by authors that uh, are just just great on that. You know what I mean? I so that those are that that's one area I would go. But I'll be honest with you, man. For me, just be kind. the The Book of Mormon is probably the best for me, at least. Uh, tutorial on not being racist, on being kind to everybody and treating people with faults, with differences, with conflicting viewpoints and with, with respect, with, uh, with love. Because it, it, it takes guts. It, 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 you know, yeah, we can sit here and say it, but it takes guts to do because that means you, you not only help the people who are victimized, but you also help the person sometimes who's a perpetrator and understand and accept and continue to, to love and be kind. Doesn't mean you condone what they do, but uh, that's hard. That's not popular. And, uh, that's definitely not what anybody wants to do in this particular scenario. But I, I, I know, and I have no doubt that a way to get through, I guess, or change racism, if that's ever going to happen, and I got my little air quotes up when it comes to that, is just that, through, through being kind and having respect both sides of the ball, if you will. So those are the just a couple areas I would go to. Leave it to Danny Frazier, graduate of two CES institutions, to say, just go read the Book of Mormon. Just go read the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Jake, do you have anything that you wanna that you wanna point us towards other than a couple of scholarly works or just read the scriptures? And I don't think I can top read the Book of Mormon. That's that's a pretty solid response. I feel I feel hard. I feel hard pressed coming to that. Uh, what I was going to say, though, um, is I, I mean, I was made aware of a lot of this stuff in, when I went to attended uh, UVU and we had a professor who was teaching us about some of this in our education um, classes for, for secondary ed. And uh, we read a lot of quotes from Dr. King. And one that I've always uh, stuck out, had stuck out to me is that uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And that, you know, we have to be proactive to do that. And I don't think people get scared or intimidated and think that means they've got to, you know, go start training like Rocky and go fight all the racists in the world or something like that. And that's not the case. I think a lot of it, we don't have to fight, you know, hatred or evil with, with violence or hatred or evil. We can combat it with love. We can combat it with compassion for people. We can combat it by, you know, they're, they're at these, these events, there are police officers there. There are ushers there. There is a system there. I thought Kevin Reynolds article, most recent article was great from the trib. He talks about BYU did send ushers into the crowd, right? They, 
they, they went and stationed the police officer there. And I feel, I feel like at first I, we were all a little bit embarrassed that the response was more lacking than even that. But as Kevin has dug a little bit deeper in that article, we know that there were more efforts made than maybe we initially we thought to do this. But if the, you know, if the fans and the students are there and they understand that this is, this is hatred, right. And hatred is, is evil. And that, um, you know, if they can take a stand and, and just politely and respectfully tell that person that's inappropriate, I'm going to get the, you know, I'm going to get people or just walk over and say, Hey, you got this jerk over here who is saying this nonsense and it does not represent us as an institution, doesn't represent us as our faith. Um, that that's all that that's all that's required is to be bold enough to do that. Right. You don't have to run up a big flight of stairs or anything like that. So. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying no to Rocky style mont training montages. either. Like that's I'm okay with that too. Uh, <laughs> um, but thank you guys. I, I, I really appreciate you guys joining me. Uh, Danny, Ron, Jake, uh, all of you guys, thanks for joining me for a, a brief roundtable discussion about race and BYU. Um, hopefully something that we said during these past, how long, 40 or so minutes, 50 minutes, close to, um, hopefully something stuck out to you guys. Maybe not everything. We're, I'm not smart enough, certainly, to solve all of the world's problems. Uh, Danny's close, um, but even he's not quite there. Yeah, uh, you're also, sadly misled if you think that, bro. Yeah. Uh, um, Jake and Ron are also very close, but but not quite. I'm there. grossly, grossly underqualified. I'm yeah. sorry. That's but <laughs> hopefully there was something tonight that that just helps us all kind of internalize to be a little bit better, be a little bit kinder. Um, let's appreciate our neighbor. And uh, if you see something, say something, you know, don't let don't let racism sexism, homophobia, whatever it is, hatred of any kind. Don't let hate win. Stand up to it. Um, don't be afraid to say something. Hey, um, hey, let me say one thing real quick in closing. Ron Weaver's coach, Coach St. Pierre, I played football with his dad at BYU. Ed, one of the toughest hombres I ever met. He was. He was. It's true. Um, George's not bad either. Yours not bad, not not a uh, lack of toughness, yeah, either. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, Danny, Ron, Jake, thanks once again for joining me. Uh, this has been another episode of the KSL.com Cougar Beat podcast. A little bit different, but we'll be back in your feed soon enough talking football, uh, talking soccer, volleyball, talking uh, other sports on BYU's campus. Um, so subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, wherever, and uh, we will talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Keep us working, yeah, we never lazy. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Coops is who they want now. Red is upstate, and we don't do no uptown. Had them singing like a flute. We don't play around with no oots or them Aggies up in Ogden. They not rocking how we rocking. Rocking Navy, rocking Royal, rocking hands. Rockabye babies, rock the stands with the fans. If you with us, raise your hands. Rockabye baby, rockin' navy. Shout out to my teams, wives and babies. Rockin' royal.